Well, good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. Our text is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, starting at verse 26. These are the uh, just the, the few hours before uh, our Lord Jesus goes to his crucifixion. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing, and when he came back he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping? And resting, enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding. Lord, I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit, not to bring information or even depth of insight, but Lord, I pray for your spirit to be at work in those of us who are gathered here in this place, in these moments, those who are with us online, those who will be watching at a later date. I pray for the work of your spirit to bring about in our hearts and our minds an, an absolute connection with what your son Jesus went through for us. And Lord, as Jesus, with being our Lord and teacher, I pray that we may take what he went through and from the guidance of your Holy Spirit, learn what that means for us. 
As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of you, not to get in the way of your work, but, but for your spirit to speak, for us to listen as you speak, for our minds to be open, our hearts to be yielded, our wills to be submitted to you so that from our time in your word, from our time availing ourselves to your work, we will be changed. We will not be stagnant. We will not sit still. We will not be self-absorbed, but instead we will be moved, drawn closer to you in the allegiance of our heart, the alignment of our will with yours. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O Father God, for your glory. Amen. Would you please be seated? And I want to give a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. We're so glad that you too are a part of the Oak Park family. Remember, you can participate in today's service by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And if you text in and you are not somebody that we know or interact with real frequently, we would also love to get a name to go along with the number. We'd really appreciate that. So we can contact you, be praying for you by name, and then also follow up with you to find out how we can help you grow spiritually. All right, a couple things before we get into today's uh, message. Um, first off, um, I am going to be gone next weekend. That means there's going to be a guest speaker. That means, yes, you still have to come to church. It's not time to play hooky. It's not time to take a break. Um, I'm going to be, um, in fact, my entire family will be in Seattle. Uh, Saturday is the memorial service for a very dear friend of mine, actually known to many of you, Dave Renberg. Uh, he was the head of school at Coastal Christian School for about four years from 2013 to 2017. And uh, we've been friends for almost 30 years. And Dave passed away from a, a very... Um, very long bout with, uh, with cancer uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And his memorial is on Saturday. I'll be speaking at uh, the memorial for him. And so we're going up to spend some time with uh, his uh, family and some other friends and, and some, other, some of our family who are still up there as well. Um, so we appreciate your prayers for that. Um, what was that, Rick? I'm just going to let the Spirit guide me, Rick. And also Alaska Airlines says we're coming back on Monday. <laughs> so, but uh, so we'll be gone next weekend. Um, Matt Bacon, uh, is uh, who's fam- a familiar face with many here at Oak Park, will be uh, filling in for me next Sunday. And uh, he's always a very, a very vibrant, very dynamic speaker. So Matt's a lot of fun. So make sure you're here to worship first and foremost, but also to support him second of all. Number two, as if you haven't been aware, uh, we have an election coming up on Tuesday. And that means uh, every, every person has a right uh, in America to vote, and I hope you are planning on exercising that right and voting in alignment with your understanding of God's Word and God's will. Um, every election is critical, but the results of every election are turned over to God, whether we're happy or not. Uh, so it's all God's fault in the end. But what a... What a privilege it is. Uh, some, you know, uh, sometimes God blesses and sometimes God judges a nation. And we can flip a coin on which one we're in right now. But we as Americans have a right. Let's exercise that right as followers of Jesus. 
there is no perfect candidate. There is no perfect party. There is no political ideology that completely aligns with the ethics uh, in, in the scriptures and the will of God. So we do our best to implement uh, things here below. But vote, take advantage of that. Your citizenship is in heaven. But our American citizenship comes with rights and responsibilities. Let's make sure we exercise those as well. Also, I'd also just appreciate prayer. We're a polling place, so people will be here voting. Uh, Brian Farrell's heading up the team that will be overseeing that here at Oak Park. And uh, we have been very blessed in our area. There's not been a lot of issues or a lot of controversy, but that does happen in some places. So be praying for Brian and all of our poll workers uh, that they will exhibit the love of Christ uh, and there will be a calmness of spirit and an ease of everything that happens on Tuesday. That would be greatly appreciated. All right, I think that's it for the announcements. As we are looking at the life of Jesus over the course of this entire year, we're working our way through a book called Quest 52, 52 of the most important events and teachings and incidences from the life of Jesus And now we're coming to pretty much the crescendo of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. The hour has come for his mission to be fulfilled, his life purpose to be realized, and that is to die on a cross for the sins of humanity so that God the Father will have the perfect sacrifice to apply to human sin. No more bulls and goats and sheep and lambs and rams and everything else. No more animals. They couldn't suffice anyway, but the perfect human sacrifice is now going to be given. And it is the blood of Jesus that will cleanse every single person of their sin from from, from the beginning of time to the end of time. That's the, the sufficiency of his perfect sacrifice. But the steps to that sacrifice... Just because it's in God's will, just because that is God's plan for his son's life, does not mean it is going to be easy. One of the greatest mistakes of modern Christianity, especially westernized Christianity, is the mistaken belief that belief in God and following Jesus makes life easy. That God exists to bless that God exists to take care of us, to make us happy. Yes, believing in God brings a level of happiness. Following Jesus saves us from the sin of ourselves quite often, and sometimes it saves us from the sin of others, but it does not make life easy. Those who would preach blessing and abundance and breakthrough and victory have not read a lot of the Bible. The life of Jesus. The hours coming over the last few weeks, we've looked at some very significant events, some high points of just the hours before Jesus died. And right now it's coming to a crescendo. Let's step back just for a moment and let's encapsulate this whole last week of Jesus' earthly life The week began on one of the highest of highs. Jesus enters Jerusalem with his ragtag band of disciples, a motley crew if we ever did see one, and he's riding on a donkey. That's not impressive. That is not spectacular. That is not how you make an entrance. 
A white stallion is how a conquering king makes an entrance, not a donkey. But there's prophecy and there's plan of God and there's symbolism and all of that. But as Jesus enters the city, the streets are lined with the, with, with the throngs of people who are excited. They are reciting scripture. They are praying scripture. They are singing scripture. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're announcing Jesus as the new king. That's a pretty awesome start to a week, right? But things devolve quickly in this last week of Jesus' life. Each of the gospels spend a significant amount of time just on these last few days and even just the last few hours of Jesus' life. But here's just a, a synopsis of the things that happened. Jesus goes from being hailed as the coming king to just mere minutes later crying, sobbing, weeping, not out of joy, not out of elation, not out of the, this, the excitement of, of all that adrenaline from, from that, the rush of the adoration of the crowd. But Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets, those faithful men of old that God would call and empower and rise up and speak through. They would go to the villages. They would go to the countryside. They would go to the towns. They would go to Jerusalem and they would proclaim God's word and God's will. And many of them would be laughed at. They would be mocked. They would be ridiculed. They would be rejected. Sometimes what God has to say isn't necessarily very popular Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem because as God in the flesh, he was in heaven. Part of the, the, the impetus that sent those men to proclaim the word of God and the will of God and he saw them tortured and executed. He saw them die for their faithfulness. Now it's his turn. In the very same city where so many prophets were killed of old. But Jesus has another insight. He knows what's coming. And just a few short decades, less than four decades after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, the city of Jerusalem will be absolutely leveled. It will be razed to the ground by the Roman armies. Part of that is judgment for rejecting the Messiah. And Jesus, as God in the flesh, he is seeing the history of Jerusalem as the place where the prophets have, have been killed, and he also sees the future. He knows the judgment is coming, and there will be horrific inhumanity and suffering in that city as the ugliness of human evil rises up. Jesus goes from being elated at the adoration of the crowd to crying, to weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Throughout the week, there is things like confrontation. Early in his ministry, Jesus had gone to the temple and he had created a stir because people there were trying to make a buck off of God. Isn't it a good thing we've evolved? 
The sacrificial system lent itself to having to sacrifice perfect animals. And so those who would take advantage of the worshipers who would travel and come, usually very poor, very destitute, but they were coming to do their religious duty, they would seek to make a quick buck. They would seek to execute injustice in the name of God. I'm sorry, but your lamb isn't perfect enough for sacrifice. You see, there's a slight blemish, and God only accepts that which is perfect. So you need to exchange your lamb. We will take that lamb off of your hands, and you can buy a better lamb from us for three easy payments of (laughs) $19.99. But wait, there's more. We'll throw in a dove for a couple of pennies. They would put the lamb in the back, recycle it a couple days later, and another family would come to the temple to worship. Oh, I'm sorry, your lamb isn't good enough, but we got one in the back. We can sell you. That level of injustice done in the name of God infuriated Jesus The temple is an absolutely massive complex, so it's not like the entire life of the temple was disrupted, but there was a section especially dedicated to those who were marginalized, who were the poor, who were the ones just coming to to fulfill the religious duty, and these are the ones taken advantage of, and Jesus said, not in the house of the Lord. He begins his ministry with that, and now he ends his ministry with that as well. He drives out the money changers, It says, my house or my father's house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. So there's a confrontation. There's lots of controversy as well. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the religious leaders of the the Jewish religious establishment did did not like Jesus because he was a rabble rouser, because he was popular, and because he said things that both scared them and as they interpreted as blasphemy. They had long plotted to get rid of him, but his popularity prevented them. But in these last few days, as Jesus is teaching in the temple every day and the throngs are there listening to him, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders pelted him with questions, trying to get him to to slip up, to, to say something by which they could actually charge him for the crime of blasphemy. We want something, we want to give you rope so that you hang yourself, is basically what they were trying to do. They wanted to catch him in something he said so they might hand him over to the governor. Then there was conspiracy, not only from those chief priests and scribes and religious leaders, but there was conspiracy from within Jesus' own band of disciples and followers that desire to put Jesus to death, now had an avenue. They had an inside man, Judas. Judas' betrayal, which was known to Jesus. Scriptures have something so interesting to say about this. Luke records it like this. Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12 Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. 
he consented. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when the crowd was, when, when no crowd was present. Satan, in some way, influenced or seduced Judas to turn on the one who just minutes before had washed his feet or would be coming to wash his feet. Timeline got messed up on that one, sorry. But you notice Satan entered Judas, but Judas still consented. It's an act of the will. Just because the temptation is there doesn't mean your fate is sealed. Just because the allure and the enticement is overwhelming does not mean it is all-powerful. It still requires our consent. Crying, confrontation, controversy, conspiracy. This is what is occupying the life of Jesus in the days leading up to the crucifixion. The hours leading up to the crucifixion become even more arduous for Jesus and his disciples. As we looked at last week, or a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Passover and how Jesus interjected himself into this historic, traditional Jewish observance, their highest and holiest celebration, their most sacred religious observance where they celebrated God delivering them from slavery in Egypt through the blood of a lamb that protected them from death from the work of God that assured their freedom from slavery. Jesus says, I am the one now giving my life, my body, and my blood for the sins of the world. A very solemn, somber, and sacred moment. That somberness and that sacredness is interrupted as they're preparing for the dinner they begin to take their places around the table and the disciples did have a pecking order. They did, have, they did have different layers of involvement and responsibility. And evidently, as they are preparing to eat, they re-engage in a discussion they've had numerous times. They rekindle and reignite a little controversy within their own group. Which one was the greatest? Who were the most important which ones were the most loved by Jesus? Which ones were going to get the highest positions of authority and responsibility in his new kingdom? Because that's what they thought this was all about. Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and reinstitute the, the, the reign of God upon earth from Jerusalem. And he's going to need a bunch of right-hand men to execute all of his will and his justice and everything he wants to implement. They were vying for the best seats as they argued about who was the greatest. It's an argument that came up at least three times. And every time Jesus would, would try to correct their thinking, he would refute them and he would teach them. But there was no longer a time for words. As the preparations for the dinner are being made, Jesus hears this stupid argument once again. And instead of words, he simply stands up he disrobes, he puts a towel around his waist, he kneels down and he assumes not only the position of a slave, but the duties of a slave, and he washes the feet of every disciple. 
In doing this, he demonstrated who was the greatest. He redefined what greatness means. It is no longer about position, place, prestige, power, and privilege. It is about humility. It is about service. It is about sacrifice of dignity, sacrifice of self-identity, sacrifice of self-absorption. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all, Jesus said. And in washing the disciples' feet, Jesus then does use his words and says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you as followers of me need to wash the feet of others as well. The example of servanthood is for all who call Jesus Lord and teacher. As I said, Jesus interrupted the meal to interject himself into the Passover. But instead of deliverance for the Jewish people, his death would mean deliverance for all people from slavery to sin. And then after the supper was concluded, Judas had departed at this point. Jesus warns those 11 remaining disciples, especially Peter, that they too will abandon him. They will walk away. Each swears loyalty to death. Remember the words of Peter. Even if they do, even if everyone does, I will not. And we know Peter was pretty big. He was pretty boisterous. He was pretty loud. He had probably gotten his dander up by Jesus saying, you're going to abandon me. And we can use a little divine imagination to, to kind of picture Peter getting worked up and being very vocal, being very forceful in his words. The bravado, right? We can easily picture that. But did you notice that as Peter makes such a bold statement, Matthew, who was there, who was one of them, writes this, and all the other disciples, it's not in the text, but you can put a parenthesis in there, and all the other disciples, including me, said the same. That's Matthew 26, verse 35. You go 20 verses later, and there's one small sentence that Matthew writes. It's after Jesus' arrest and after he is carried off to the, to, the, to the chief priests. Matthew writes this, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Talk is cheap. Jesus knew better. As the supper concluded, Jesus and the disciples had gone to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And here we get a picture. We get a picture of perhaps the, 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 the most deep insight into the humanity of Jesus. The Christian understanding is that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. He is fully a flesh and blood person. That's one of the, the mysteries of you know God. God is beyond our own understanding. But Jesus, as God in the flesh, was still fully human. 
And the language we see here is heartbreaking. If you stop and pause and put yourself into the emotion of the moment, even Matthew and then later Mark and Luke record that Jesus was sorrowful, that he was troubled, that he was anxious, that he was overwhelmed. The words sorrowful and troubled they're very accurate, but they're understated. Jesus himself says, I, have, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I hope it is not too sacrilegious and I hope it is not too crass, but perhaps it is okay to understand this as saying, as Jesus saying, I am scared out of my mind right now. Because all his life, he had seen people be crucified. The Romans loved to do that. That was the number one crowd control technique. It is awful. It is ugly. It is painful. It is inhumane. It is one of the most cruel ways that public execution that has ever been devised. Jesus knew what awaited him, and he was scared. He was sorrowful, overwhelmed, emotionally broken to the point of death. Once again, without being sacrilegious and not trying to be too crass, perhaps Jesus was just saying, Lord God, kill me now. Rather than go through that, Jesus prays. He prays to his father. He prays to dad. Dad, if there's anything you can do, and I know you can do everything, now is the time to intervene. Now is the time to show up in a big way. We know you're very rarely early, but we know you're never late, and it's like, it's time. I need you here. I need you now. Rescue me. Save me from this. I know I was sent for this purpose, but Lord God, my Father, get me out of this. Jesus prays for the cup to be removed, and cup is Old Testament language about God's wrath. God's anger at human sin, his anger at disobedience. You see, God is a God of love, yes, but he is also a God of holiness and justice and righteousness. And sin must be atoned for. And human sin can only be atoned by human blood. Jesus was not just paying for sins on the cross. He was absorbing his Father's wrath against our sin. That's a difficult thought. You can see why Jesus was so overwhelmed, why he was so emotionally distraught, why he was to the point of being physically broken because of the emotional anguish. Not only would he have to die an arduous death, his eternal relationship with his father was about to take a turn that had never been experienced in eternity. He would be subject to his dad's wrath on our behalf. Jesus' prayer increased in intensity to the point of um, hematidrosis. Probably didn't pronounce that one correctly, but it's an actual medical condition where under extreme duress, the, the capillaries in the forehead will begin to rupture. We, we know stress and tension and pressure 
But what we know is nothing like this. And Jesus began to, to to look like the sweat coming off of his brow was red because the capillaries had burst. It was coming through his skin. He was sweating drops of blood. Jesus prayed repeatedly. The Father's answer was always no. Jesus' answer, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, installed his resolve. Did you notice as he went back to the disciples and there's the frustration of them with their, the bravado of allegiance, but yet they couldn't even stay awake? Jesus ends that with, rise, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. There's no more mention of the emotional distress. There's no more mention of the the sorrowful and, and being troubled. Now there is resolve. There is a resoluteness that Jesus will go and do what he was born to go and do. So what about us? What in the world does this have to do for us? Well, Jesus' suffering and his response is our example the Apostle Peter, the one who, you know, in some ways was, was pretty almost bipolar, very up and then very down, very faithful and then very frightened. Peter himself writes this, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he calls them to be his disciple, to take up their cross daily and follow him, to deny the self, to die to the self. And if we are going to follow Jesus as our Lord and our teacher, what he went through is in some small way what we too will go, go through. So Jesus is our example In great sorrow and great trouble, he prayed. He pleaded with God. He begged with God. He wrestled with God. He fell to his knees. He poured it all out. He laid it all out there. From the bottom of his his depth of being, he cried out to God the Father. That's weird to do too. But in the end, nevertheless, not as I will, not as I want, not as I desire, not as I would like, not as what's best for me, but Lord, what is your will? Because our lives are in his hands anyway. We are an eternal spirit under the authority of God. Through Jesus, we belong to him. No matter what happens in the body, we belong to God. Number two is we are to always pray and not give up. Jesus taught his disciples that. So we should pray in the midst of every problem and every obstacle, every difficulty, but we should pray for endurance, not only escape. Our prayer could very honestly be, Lord, get me out of this, and that's a good prayer. But we should also be very quick to add, Lord, if you're not gonna get me out of this, get me through this. Help me endure. Have you ever looked at the word endurance, by the way? 
endurance. And you ran. To the end you ran. To the end you ran your race faithfully, steadfastly, devotedly. That's the terminology Paul uses. Run the race set out before you. Run in a way as to get the prize. Run and don't give up. Endurance is that you, you ran to the end. So endure. Pray for resolve, not just removal. Pray for obedience, not only ease. But number three, remember this. In our prayers, an answer from God the Father is sometimes no. The three prayers, basically, that God answers are, the three answers are this, no, not yet, and yes. But remember a no to us may very well be God saying yes to someone else. God's answer to his very own son was a no, but it is a yes to us. It's a yes to our prayer for God, forgive me. God, cleanse me of my sin. God, accept me as your child. Yes, because my son died for you. You are forgiven. Because my son was faithful, I will take his faithfulness over your faithlessness. And because you align and have allegiance to my son, you too are my son or my daughter. You are my child. God the Father's no to Jesus was his yes to us. And sometimes the no we receive may just be a yes to someone else. Not comparing myself to Jesus at all, but just one quick example. Years ago, I was serving on staff as an associate pastor at a church in Seattle. My predecessor here was the pastor at that church, Dr. Jim Shields. Jim had left to come to pastor at Oak Park. After two years of being the, still being the associate pastor, filling in, in the role of senior pastor more often than not, I put my name in. There were some circumstances I interpreted as the will of God and work of God in that, and others agreed. We go to a congregational vote. Not going to get into the details, but let's just say some things that could have been done a lot better on that time. At the end of the day, I lost the vote to be the senior pastor at that church. 81% needed 85. Of course, a third of the church wasn't allowed to vote, but we'll talk about that some other time, another context. Statutes of limitations has run out for slander, right? I'm just kidding. Anybody from Greenwood watching, I'm just joking. 20 years ago, I'm over it, really. <laughs> Maybe we need to install a counselor's couch here. Anybody got a pipe that could do some counseling? But anyway, it comes from, I lost, I lost the vote. God said no. Five years later, God said yes to Oak Park. Sorry. <laughs> God's no in that moment sent me into a wilderness journey. Five years out of ministry, five years working as a painter, five years of sanding and scraping houses, of wearing whites, of just getting grubby and dirty, crying out to God, questioning God, I have a master's degree, why am I scraping the side of a house? 
God's answer was no, but then it was also a not yet, and then finally it was a yes, because you're learning some humbleness, you're learning some hard work. Besides, your kids need to eat. This is the best way to make sure that happens. Jordan's very happy because he likes food. God's no was also a not yet, and then it became a yes when Jim called and asked me to explore the opportunity to come here to help him. But in our other, other parts of our lives, and for all of us, God saying no to us may be a not yet, but it also may be a yes for someone else. God's got a lot to organize and administrate and work out. We're just one small piece of the puzzle, so keep that in mind. And then lastly, we are to turn our tribulation into tribulation, being elated at the opportunity to struggle, to suffer, to face adversity. James, not an apostle, but the younger half-brother of Jesus, writes this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's the only way our faith gets stronger is if we're tested. Our faith needs muscle memory. And you only get muscle memory by repeated, repeated use repeated practice. It takes stress and it takes strain. That's what builds muscle memory. Some tribulation to tribulation. Refined faith is only forged through fire. And as we too pray like Jesus, as our prayer then echoes Jesus, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will, we will have that resolve and it will lead to rejoicing.